Welcome to Unity of Tucson. So we have, we have two things that are happening today uh, here on this particular Sunday. Um, those two things are this. This is the final week of our Fall Renewal series, where we have been looking at the book, Working with the Law, by Raymond Hollowell. And it just happens to also coincide with the first Sunday of Advent. And when we have Advent, there are four Sundays before Christmas that are the Advent season, and on each Sunday there is a theme. And the first Sunday of Advent is always faith and hope in unity. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. Um, and I thought, well, how am I going to reconcile working with the law? And when I read the, title, the chapter title, The Law of Obedience. <laughs> and then there was The Law of Success, the two chapters we read for this week, right? But I, I read that, The Law of Obedience. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have to go through a whole law of sacrifice thing again. Because <laughs> the law of sacrifice kind of was a bit wonky last week. Um, but then I read the chapter, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. The law of obedience is actually a perfect lesson in faith and hope. Right? Did you all read it? No. <laughs> <laughs> William? F. At least he's honest. At the exam, I would have known that you hadn't read the book. <laughs> So, we're going to look the law through the lens of faith and hope a little bit. Um, now, I wanted to say that in unity, we take the first Sunday as faith and hope because traditionally in Christian, in more traditional Christian uh, churches, the first Sunday of Advent is hope. And we know how we feel about hope here, right? As uh, Ernest Holmes says, hope is, now I can't think of the quote. This is one that I've had committed to memory forever. Hope is good. Hope is good. I just want to be very clear. Hope is good. It's better than despair, <laughs> he says. But it is an unconscious compromise. It is an unconscious compromise because hope is not faith. We have not yet arrived at faith. Hope is assuming still go wrong. That's why hope is a little bit of a wonky thing in new thought circles. So in unity and hope on the first Sunday of Advent, and we've said it is faith and hope. And I like to define hope in this manner, because you know I love a good acronym, having only positive expectations. That's what hope is for me. Yes. So, here I am reading the law of obedience. So, what I worked out is this. He defines obedience in this manner. Obedience is the governor of all movement, whether it be mechanical, literal, or spiritual. And I thought, aha, there it is. The law of obedience is that the law is obedient. That's what the law of obedience is. The law always does exactly what we impress upon it through our beliefs, our thoughts, our feelings. The law will always meet us in exact measure of that which we impress upon it. The law itself is obedient. And the law of obedience is an invitation to work with the law, not counter to the law. And we are, when we are working with the law, then we are 
state of, inter- of eternal faith. That's what I believe. And that's how I teach. That when we are working with the law, we are in a state of eternal hope. Because remember, did I just say hope? I meant to say faith. <laughs> At least I caught myself, because that would have been very confusing. <laughs> um, and, and remember, we talk about, you know, he has these, these 12 laws. And there's really only one law. The law of creation, the law of mind action. That is the law. We give it all of these other kind of adjectives to talk about it. There is one law. It is the law we are using to construct our experience of this thing called life. It is the creative impulse within each and every one of us. That is the one law, creation. Creation is eternally happening all the time, no matter what. We cannot cease creating All the time, no matter what. The question is, what are you creating? What are you creating? Look at your life. That's what you're creating. And then there are going to be some people are going to go, oh my gosh, that's so depressing. (laughs) No, it's not depressing to me because what it does is it says, if I have created it, then I must be the person in power who can recreate my life if that's what I so choose. And so when I am in alignment and obey the law, knowing that the law itself is obedient to my thoughts and my feeling, that my life turns around. I I stated at the beginning of today's service that embracing practical spiritual tools has made my life better. This is exactly what I'm talking about. My life has gotten infinitely better because of a practice. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be a new thought practice, although that's what works for me. That's what works for me. What works for you? That's a rhetorical question. What works for you? Is this working for you? If you're new to our community, is this something that might work for you? You're at choice here, and that's the greatest gift we have. If we were to say there was a gift from on high, which there isn't because we are that infinite power and presence, but if there is a gift from on high, the gift that we have is infinite choice in the expression of our lives. There seems to be, within this entire chapter, a question or a consideration of morality. Anyone pick that up? It's like, oh, he's talking a lot about morality here in this reading. Um, And it invited for me a reflection on whether a spiritual path is required to know what is right and what is wrong. Because I know a lot of atheists who have a very deep sense of what is right and what is wrong. And so I then look and say, if I were an atheist, which in some ways some people would probably consider me an atheist because I don't believe in a God out there. I believe in an infinite presence and principle of creation that is part of who we are and what we are. So in a traditional sense, people might say, well, you are an atheist because you don't believe in God. I do believe in God, that good orderly direction that is who I am. But has this path, the new thought path, the new thought principle, guided me down and into an expression and experience of what is right morally? I would say that the beliefs I hold, which are love only, forgive everything, and remember who you are, are about as moral as I can possibly get. Now, some faith philosophies are going to suggest 
that their path is the right path and has the right moral stance, and we may be in conflict with one another in terms of what we believe. Anyone ever have that experience? Anyone have that experience on Thursday at the dinner table? What is the purpose of a spiritual path? Again, rhetorical. What is the purpose of a spiritual path? What I have found is that this path has benefited my life, not because I have utilized these principles for selfish gain, but because it guides me to a deeper understanding of the interconnectedness of all life. That deeper understanding is rooted in selflessness. Not that I'm lessening the self, but that I'm understanding life in a completely different way. I've alluded to, on occasion here, the fact that I used to be an actor. I thought that would get a laugh. (laughs) Thank you for laughing, Sherry. I used to be an actor, and I realized at one point when I was in the study of becoming a minister that, the, that, that what, I had, what I was seeking was an understanding of what it is to live life. And I was seeking that in an outward way through character work and being on stage and presenting and performing, that I was always in a search for what it was to be in this thing called And it was very much an outward-seeking expression. And I realize now that it goes right hand-in-hand with what I do here, which is spend a lot of time with that inward-seeking. That that's the value of a spiritual path. And so I'm finding the ways to balance that in my life because I'm very happy to go sit in silent meditation for a day or two. Yes. Silence for a day or two. Try it sometime. See what happens. See if you can actually do it. Because a lot of people have a, have a real challenge being the silence. And, I don't, and notice I said being the silence, not being in the silence. And that's the thing, being the silence. But that inward journey has become more important to me than the outward expression. Because what I have discovered is that Focusing on that which is within unburdens the expression that is without. So this path has benefited my life, allowed me to acknowledge the magnificence I see in the faces of every single person I encounter all the time because I recognize God as the core essence and expression of everyone. No excuses, no matter what. Even the people that I find challenging, and there are a few of those. Anyone have any challenges with people? (laughs) I see a hand going up way back there, yes. Here's the the thing. Those people are God too. And those people can push your buttons, right? And I used to be very reactive. Used to be. Somewhere 
along the way. It was probably on social media, and, and, and so I'm going to offer a quote that I don't know to whom I should attribute this quote, but the quote was this. I almost always regret losing my temper, but I n- almost never regret keeping it. I almost always regret losing my temper, but I almost never regret keeping it. This spiritual path has taught me a deeper sense of relief by not taking anything personally. I once lost my temper in a spectacular way. I was rehearsing a show um, in North Hollywood. The show was called All About Phineas Taylor Barnum, you know, of Barnum and Bailey's uh, you know, and he was a he was a showman. And if you saw the movie The Greatest Showman, it's all about Barnum, very sensationalized expression of Barnum. But this musical that uh, came out in the '80s, that's not when I was doing it, by the way. This came out in the '80s because I would have been like uh, like that. <laughs> this was a production in North Hollywood, so it had been fraught. This production that I was in had been fraught with challenge, and 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 oh my gosh. We were just being overworked and overworked and overworked. And the director would, no, stop, do it again. Stop, do it again. No, we've got to go from the top. Stop, do it again. Never had that experience. (laughs) And we were well past our union break time at a point in one night. And I just lost it on the director, in front of the entire cast and crew. Completely lost my temper, and I said, absolutely not, I will not do it again. And I had some more colorful language that was expressing itself <laughs> in that moment, and oh my gosh, the whole place just went <laughs> Now I can look back on it and say, wow, I regret losing my temper in that experience because there was a much better way I could have handled that. So, I almost, ne- I almost always regret losing my temper, but I almost never regret keeping it. So this is, a, this, is an, a, this is a way that we can address once again, how are we living our lives? Are we living our lives by thinking of other people as the enemy? Are we thinking of other people as the antagonist in our lives? Or can we find the love at the heart of all people we encounter? It took me a while, because I was not on this path yet, to find the love in my heart for that director. But I found it. I found it. Hollowell wrote this. Disobedience to the law. Refusal to do what we know is right but we do not always do it because it seems to interfere or delay our immediate attainment of the object we see. I talk about this a lot. What is right? And are we trying to grasp on things out there to hold on to what we feel is right? This is the morality question, right? This is the morality question. Did I know what was right in that experience of losing my temper? Maybe. I knew what was right for me. How I handled it was a completely different story. So what is right? What is right? On a deeper level, what is right? Self-enlightenment, which is what I think many of us are here to 
perhaps move in the direction of. Self-enlightenment to me seems only possible as we support the enlightenment of all people in our sphere. And I guarantee you that conflict will not enlighten anyone else. There are constructive ways of doing this. There are destructive ways of trying to do it, but I guarantee that destructive ways are not going to get you anywhere. So where is my faith? My faith is to approach life in hope. Always having only positive expectations in every encounter. To not ever see another person as a person of conflict, as, a, as an antagonist or as the villain of my story. Oh, anyone got villains in their story? I believe, although my husband might disagree, that I am much less prone now to losing my temper. I'll have to check in with him later. Being rooted in faith is an invitation to cooperate with the infinite power of creation. That energy that energy that makes things happen, that greatness on demand. Get the acronym? Yeah. To obey the manner of law, which is the way it all works. Consistent unfoldment, no matter what. We cannot stop it. We cannot stop it. Although I see people try, it's like, no, it's too much, too fast, no. No. Root yourself in faith and trust. That's what this lesson is all about. That's what the law of obedience is all about. That's what the law of success is all about. That we cannot not be successful. We can only ever be successful when we know who we are. We are a success at the things we fail at because we have a consciousness of failure. Get it? So if you are experiencing what you might, what you might describe as failure in your life, Start to turn that around and say, I am successful at failure. And so if I am that successful at failure, guess what? I can be that successful in success. And so I'm going to stop being successful at failure, turn it around, and choose to be successful in success. It works by providing. The law works by providing a response, not just to the thought, but to the belief and to the feeling behind the thought. The energy of the thought is important. And I think that that's one thing that we are moving into, that when new thought was being founded almost, well, 150 years ago, when new thought was really being considered and founded, and, you know, they were looking at the transcendentalist movement, and they were looking at all the things that were, that were in, informing this frame of mind, it really became a, an intellectual exercise. I change my thinking, I change my life. But it's gone so much deeper than that. It is about the energy behind the thought. That's what needs to change. Because it's really easy to change a thought. It's really, people are like, are you sure? It is really easy to change a thought. But the energy behind the thought, that's the thing that is a challenge. 
That's the thing that can be a challenge for people. Well, I choose no longer to allow it to be a challenge because I know who I am. I know who you are. And I know that there is that capacity as you that knows exactly how to change what it is you would like to change in your life. The energy of the thought is what must be addressed. Do you wish to succeed? You can. You possess all the essentials within yourself. Are you living life according to that construct? Or do you have any doubt about that? Because doubt becomes the limitation. Doubt becomes the limitation. You can go no further. You can express no more. You can create no further than your doubt. And so today is a call to let go of all the doubt. To be done with it once and for all. I'm choosing to be done with it. Because I still have doubt sometimes. Oh, and it just sucks. The most ministerial thing I've said all day. (laughs) Our tendency, oftentimes, and it's rooted in a construct that we were taught, by the way, is that we have to coerce the circumstances and manipulate the effects to change our lives. That will never work. Or if you do somehow get it to work, it is not a lasting change. What if in our desire to make things happen, we're actually getting in the way of our successful life? Because we're trying so hard. I see somebody who's trying really hard to make success and it is crumbling all around him, Elon. That is a spectacular demonstration of trying to manipulate the circumstances, but not approaching from a frame of mind that is, that, that is creative. So what if in our desire to make things happen, we're actually getting in the way of our success? If the nature of life is an upward spiral of evolutionary expression, I've talked about that before. We are in an infinite upward spiral of evolutionary expression. Maybe the best thing we can do is trust. Because if we truly believe that life is an upward spiral of evolutionary expression, if we live in faith and trust then we can rest easy in the grace that is the divine essence of creation. Hmm. In trust, the law takes care of our needs because we can never be without when we know who we are. Here's a question to ponder. What is your definition of success? He invites us to that question in the book. What is your definition of success? Is it individualized only, the way that you choose to express your success? Or can it be inclusive of the whole of humanity? Something to think about. Because what I have found in my experience is that the more I am inclusive of the success of the whole of humanity, I am not separate from the whole of humanity, and therefore, I must be successful as part of that paradigm. So I will do everything I can to support the whole of humanity in its successful expression of the most magnificent life it can express. That's why we hold here the vision of a world that is awakened to its magnificence. What if we collectively started defining success as that which supports both the individual and the whole of humanity? What if? What would this world look like? 
I see some people wanting to clap. Go ahead. (laughs) I mean, what a difference that world would be. There's good news. There's good news around this because you know what that good news is? You, yes, you and you, you are at the forefront of that by making a choice to be the most magnificent expression you can be and recognizing it in everyone you see. We have come full circle. And the nature of this world is responding. It may look challenging because a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, look at all the stuff (laughs) that is happening in the world. And it feels really challenging. And it feels like everything is falling apart around us. Well, you've heard me say a million times, when the world seems to be falling apart around you, it is because that essence of God can no longer be contained by the limitations that you have put into place. So something must be born. It must shed so that the phoenix can rise. That's what's happening. That's what we're experiencing right now. There is, in behavioral psychology, a concept called extinction burst. Anyone know what extinction burst is? Extinction burst is this idea. It is the last gasp of a dying fear. And so as people are rooted and motivated by fear, they are going to express based on that fear. And as we, as, I don't want to say fight back, but as we press against that fear with pure love, you know what happens? That fear begins to dissipate and it goes right into the Christmas tree. <laughs> And it says, oh, wait, I cannot be anymore, so I'm going to go hide. I'm actually doing this. It goes and it hides. The extinction burst is this. As you press against it, it's going to go, but wait a second, I'm coming back out. That's the burst. And it is the last gasp of that dying fear. For when it is pressed against by that pure love, once again, it will dissipate once and for all, never to be seen again. That's what we're experiencing in this world right now. Can you get behind that idea and not be reactionary? Can you go out into this world and be pure love and only see pure love? That's what I believe we are here to do and to be. That is what we are experiencing. Fear is not welcome in this house. We who shine our light are less likely to be motivated by fear tactics. So my call to you today on this first day of Advent and the final day of our fall renewal series is shine your light and keep in mind your faith, hope if necessary, and success is assured. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. The homework. Oh, yes, there is homework. Even though it's a holiday weekend, there is homework. The homework this week, actually, I've given this homework before, but since he basically talks about this very same construct in the book, um, I thought this would be a great homework assignment for this week. So, Hollowell has a discussion in the book on the psychology of a successful attitude, and he, he speaks a lot about replacing and addressing the language of I can't and simply telling yourself I can. And so that's the homework this week. As a spiritual practice, I'm asking in every moment, what can I do? What can I do? As opposed to what can't I do? 
Because we have been we have been socialized. Our culture invites us into the question of that's not possible. What I, I can't do that. No, ask yourself the question, what can I do? Live in the realm of potential. Live in the realm of possibility and see the success that flows forth. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.